great future. We're talking real money. Hello again. Welcome to another edition of Talking Real Money, the podcast. Not just the podcast today, the question and answer podcast, which, you know, is my favorite of the week. And it's the podcast that I create the day before we do a live show in Seattle on Northwest News Radio with you guys. And please bear in mind, no matter where you are, you can call us on Saturdays if you have questions and you want to talk one-on-one or two-on-one or one-on-two at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. But if you'd like to ask questions for this podcast, it's done a different way. What you do is you go to TalkingRealMoney.com, our website. Then you click on the contact form, and you'll see on the left-hand side a microphone button. And you record your question using your computer or your phone or your tablet. Uh, preferably, you have a mic. With with most of us doing something through our computers, either meetings or whatever it might be, a good mic makes sense. So we hope you do. And uh, I, I love your questions. I'm so glad you asked them. Now, today, we're going to start, well, sort of with a question. I only know because uh, of the service we use that it comes from Lonnie. Hi, Lonnie. You left a question, but for some reason, it sounds really strange, and this was all I got. So if you could... Try it again. I don't. I can't. I don't even understand what that was. That's just weird. It sounds like you're in a gym, but only we're only getting the gym sounds. Like your mic is pointing the wrong way. I'm not sure. Anyway, if you could just send it in again, because I hate to not answer questions. But all I got was that end of the question, and I don't know what that means. It's out of context. But next, we have an actual question. Here it is. Hi, Tom and Don. This is John from Oregon. I have a question about ETF allocation. I met with an Appella Wealth Advisor to discuss my situation. At the end of the meeting, they provided me with a plan based on my risk of 70-30 stock to bond allocation. The plan also provided a recommended asset class distribution for large, mid, small size companies in value blend growth categories. This is all great until I attempt to implement it into my portfolio. I have multiple accounts at Fidelity, got about 1.2 million in my both my wife's and my 401k, um, no, my 401k also has a brokerage link option, so that'll help me diversify, diversify if I need to. Um, I also have about 300000 in um, after-tax Roth um, IRA, my wife's IRA, and also an HSA. I have about 500000 in an after-tax brokerage account. I'm 55 in the 24% marginal tax bracket. I'm looking to rewire at 59 and a half to go travel, do some volunteering, or pick up some part-time work. So my question is, how do I accomplish the recommended asset classes across all my accounts? I see a few options, but interested in to hear your thoughts. First, I could find nine different ETF funds, or maybe 18 if I want to uh, include an international component to each um, asset class, large growth, mid-value, et cetera and put the recommended percentage into each account. This seems like a nightmare to try to manage and rebalance each year. Alternative, or alternatively, I could put, or I could fill each account with each asset class until it's full, then move 
onto the next account with the next or the next asset class. This seems a little more manageable, but still would be difficult to rebalance each year. Also note that my 401k, the only real low cost fund is an S&P fund and a total bond fund. So I may need to take advantage of the, that uh, brokerage link option. Well, and another option would be to scrap the whole nine or 18 fund idea and just use a broad index ETF and a broad index international ETF. This would take, a, take the rebalancing out of the equation, but I wonder if I'll get the desired diversification that I would want. Um, however, it would be much easier to manage that way. What are your thoughts? Well, this is one of the reasons why Tom and I both, even though we have been big believers in do-it-yourself and still think most people can do a reasonably effective job with the right mental attitude and the right emotional control managing their own money, but we're with you. I mean, I'm with you. I, 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 that's a lot of funds to manage on your own. It makes for very complicated rebalancing. It's really the kind of portfolio that requires an advisor. And I don't know if it's going to make the advisor worthwhile or not. I don't. I don't know what the, what the additional returns might be worth. I mean, it's usually just you know, small gives you a little bit and value gives you a little fraction. But mainly what diversification like this does is it adds a, a stability to a portfolio over time where international kind of balances out U.S. a little and small balances out large sometimes and value balances out against growth. So you get all this and bonds against stocks. You get all of these balancing acts that are going on in a portfolio. And we think those can add a couple of things. There is some evidence that it has added return. The Vanguard Advisor Alpha study, and that study said that having an advisor adds 3% per year to your return. I think, you know, that's against people who are really bad at this, who don't have that emotional control. So I don't, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but I would agree with you. I think a more focused portfolio, simply getting a total world fund like the Advances Total World or the D Dimensional Total World ETFs, uh, look at those or uh, look at maybe getting a U.S. and an international and a small and a value or and a small value. Just that um, just to keep it a little bit simpler. But I got to tell you, if I was doing it totally on my own, I would keep it really simple because uh, it, it's it's hard. It's just difficult. And it throws you it can no matter how strong we think we are, it can kind of throw you into an emotional tizzy. So if you if you really want that massive diversification and the the help, then you get an advisor and you have enough money that your fees aren't even going to be that bad. But um, if you're going to do it yourself, I have fewer funds, fewer ETFs. Thank you very much for the question. I truly appreciate it. And let's go on to our next one. Hi, Don. Uh, I've been listening to you waxing rhapsodic about the uh, 529 plans and so I started looking into it, and I see that as a grandparent, I can uh, set up uh, accounts for my four grandchildren who are fairly young, but we're not um, rich people, and I think we can afford to put some money away for them. But I noticed in my reading that the um, 
if you if you take the money out of this plan, if you if something happens and you need money, uh, you can take it out, but you have to pay taxes. That's not a problem. But it says there's a ten percent penalty, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. Ten uh, percent of the whole amount that's in the uh, five twenty nine plan. I'm not sure I understand that. Um, I also wanted to mention that my reading of the um, material about 529s shows that if you are not well off and you at some point need Medicaid, if you have money in a 529 plan, you have to use that money for your medical care before you can get Medicaid. I don't know if that matters to most people, but I thought I'd mention it because it was a factor that somebody might need to take into account. Anyway, I'm just wondering what the implications are for um, a family. I mean, as a grandparent, I believe that going forward, they're not using my 529 plans to um, to reduce the uh, financial aid opportunities for my grandchildren because that is a problem for parents. But I don't think it's a problem for grandparents having a 529 but I do want to know if, you know, we hit a problem and we needed the money, what we can do to um, make adjustments to our 529. Thanks. It's a wonderful thing to help with a child's education. It is a wonderful gift. However, I believe that it should never negatively impact anyone, a parent or a grandparent, in retirement or saving for their retirement. I don't think it is as, as as important a goal as saving for retirement is or saving your retirement. So if you feel like you're on the edge where you might need to take this money out, then I wouldn't put it in. I'd set it aside mentally. You know, when the kids go to school, let's see what our financial situation is, and maybe we can dole out a little cash. Because it doesn't sound like you're in a high enough bracket for that tax deferral to be worth much, to, or that tax-free growth to be worth a heck of a lot. And you're right. Um, if you take it out early, you pay the tax and a 10% penalty. And it does impact your Medicaid eligibility. But if you're worried about Medicaid eligibility... You really shouldn't be funding a 529. Um, just, again, mentally segregate that money. Even have it in a different account somewhere. Uh, you could even have it in a growth-oriented account. You could use a growth-oriented ETF and, and, and not have a lot in the way of taxation along the way. Um, but it just doesn't sound like a great plan from what you said and the way you sounded. Not right now, but it's a nice thought. I appreciate the call or the question. Send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Speak them in at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. And let's see. I think we have two more. Here's our next one. Hi, Tom. This is Steve from Seattle, longtime listener. This year, my 28-year-old niece inherited a 150K IRA account, and a 200K brokerage account. We know that she has to drain the IRA account within 10 years. If she takes a certain percentage distribution each year with the intent of draining it all over that 10-year period, 
what should she do with the money? Assuming she chooses to save it and not spend it, my suggestion would be to max out a Roth contribution and then contribute half the remainder to a brokerage account and the other half as a post-tax contribution to a regular IRA account. Does that sound reasonable? What would you advise? Thanks. Those darn non-spousal inherited IRAs. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the right thing. I mean, you're on the right track. If she's going to save it, which would be great. Um, yeah, I think taking it out, you got to pay the taxes. And then I would consider it. I'm, I'm starting to, to think that maybe she is already contributing to an IRA or is not eligible. So if she is not eligible, then what I would probably do is do a backdoor Roth where she puts uh, the uh, the money. If she's not doing an IRA, she puts the money into a uh, regular IRA and then immediately converts it to a Roth so that it grows tax free. Although there's nothing in the world wrong with just paying the taxes. And if you've got other tax advantaged accounts, just putting it in a brokerage account. Uh, I mean, if she was eligible and wasn't doing a deductible IRA or was eligible for and wasn't doing a Roth IRA, I would say do that out of the proceeds and then take the rest and put it in some sort of a brokerage account. But it's we got to go back several steps before we talk about where to put it or how to put it. You need to know why to put it. What's the why of the money? What's its purpose? What does she need? What does her future look like? What is her plan? With this kind of money, $350,000, it's definitely time to have a plan. And the sooner you put together a plan, the better off you're likely to be. This is a wonder, wonder, wonderful opportunity for her. Don't worry about the types of accounts. Figure out what she needs this money to do for her. And then you start parceling it out, picking the right investments, putting the right investments in the right, right kinds of accounts like we talk about a lot on the show. So start with, she's got the money, take it out, pay the taxes, park it for a little while while a plan gets created. Thanks much. Appreciate your question. And let's do the last one for this podcast. Hi, Tom and Don. I'm 67. I'm retired. Uh, I have a Fidelity cash management account. I started doing all my banking with Fidelity, free debit card, check writing, bill pay. Uh, my checking account gets 2.69% interest rate. My savings is in their money market account, SPACs, which gets 4.99%. Uh, basically, my question is, why do I need a bank? I uh, don't see any advantages right now. I don't need to deposit cash, and I don't have a mortgage, and I don't need a loan. So is there any reason why I shouldn't close my bank accounts and just stay with the cash management account? Thank you. There is nothing in the world wrong with having your checking account at Fidelity. It's a bank. You say, why do I need a bank? Well, it is a bank. It's a real live bank. It's FDIC insured. And in this day and age, 20, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, you needed a branch. You needed a place to go to deposit checks, to get cash. Really, how much do you use cash? I don't ever 
use cash. I just don't use it. I, I've got some in my wallet, but it isn't much because I never need it. Because I got all these things, this Apple Pay thing, these little plastic and metal cards in my wallet. Um, just don't need it. So do you need a traditional bank account? No. As a matter of fact, you got me thinking. I, I have a brokerage account with Schwab, and I went to look uh, at their checking account, and uh, they pay 0.45, which isn't much. But I thought about doing it, and then I went, mm, I don't keep that much money in checking, so I might just, you know, I might make $100 a year. Is it worth the hassle of redoing all my bill pay and all my auto payments that come out of that account? And I went, nah, you know, nah. You don't need another account. You're just fine where you are. And, and and I looked at these accounts, and the stuff they do is great. I mean, you know, today, you don't need a bank to make a deposit. You don't even need to mail them a check. You just take a picture of it, and they put it in your account. Take a picture of it with your phone. It's so simple. It really is. It's so simple that I bet even Tom could do it. I, I bet. I don't know if he does it. I have to check with him. I'm going to ask him. Oh, I won't have to ask him. He'll definitely tell me because he listens to the show. <laughs> so I'll hear from him. Anyway, uh, yeah, you're fine. Just go for it. You know, and speaking of cash, I'm going out with some friends of my wife, which is my life. I All our friends are hers. Uh, we're going out to dinner at an Italian restaurant that I haven't eaten at yet. It's in our town. Haven't eaten there because I won't eat there. Because they charge 4% to use a credit card. 4%. Why don't they just mark up their food by 2% and uh, don't make a, a big deal? Um, but I thought about it for a while. I'm not going to say it. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm going to say it. What the heck? I'm going to say it. It's just a thought. It's not an allegation. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not alleging it. I didn't tell you who they were. But they're out of... It's a the family out of New York City. Okay, they're from Staten Island. You know, I lived on Staten Island for a while. It, it's a tough place. And I'm thinking to myself, let's see, you only take, you really only want to take cash. You don't really want to take credit cards. It could be one of two things. You know, I'm thinking it could be that they, uh, you know, a little bit goes in the pocket, and, you know, and the uh, IRS is none the wiser or, uh, you know, then I thought about the big one. I went, wait a minute. I watch Breaking Bad. I know you. You're the way you launder money is by getting a primarily cash business, and then you slip a few extra bills in with the legit money and deposit that in the bank, and nobody's the wiser. So anyway, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I haven't eaten there, uh, but I'm going to now. Now, do I give them cash, or do do I give them a credit card? <sighs> decisions, decisions. Well, thank you all for spending some time with me. And thank you very much for being a part of Talking Real Money, which is growing like a weed, uh, except during the holiday season, of course, which I hate because, of course, the audience goes down during the holiday season because, well, people are holidaying. <sighs> I'd rather just be here working. Anyway, uh, sit, uh, questions. Send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Call live on Saturdays at 855-935-TALK. And if you wanted to, as uh, an earlier questioner did, if you want to sit down with one of our advisors for a few minutes, 
we do it all the time. And we actually give you stuff. You walk out with something, with an answer to a question, with an idea what you own, with how much you're paying, or whatever it might be. You walk out with something absolutely free. Absolutely free. And there is no obligation. And no one will break your legs for not becoming a client. I promise. Anyway, I'm leaving now. Thank you for being a part of our program. I am done. And, uh, you know, I'm talking real money, I think. Yeah, I am talking real money. Yeah. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital, LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. And the lawyers get richer.